Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Bibles to Psalm 78, 40 through 42. I'm going to be reading in the King James. Psalm 78, 40 through 42. This is about the children of Israel and something they did in the wilderness, not just on one or two occasions, but they did it for the whole 40 years that they wandered around. And it's going to be kind of hard for us to comprehend or believe what they did. But trust me, it's true. Psalm 78, 40 starts out, How oft did they, the children of Israel, provoke him, God, in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Now, these are two things you don't want to do, provoke God or grieve him. Verse 41 says, Yea, they turned back or backslid and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand or the things that he did, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy, delivered them from Egypt, delivered them from every enemy that ever tried to attack them. They remembered not. And you know, God always remembers his children, but his children have a hard time remembering him all the time. Psalms 9, 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. He's not talking about nations that never knew God. He's talking about nations that knew God and forgot him. I'm going to tell you, after all the goodness that God has shown me and my family, I will never forget him. I'll boldly declare it in the face of the devil right now. I will never forget my God. There's nothing you could do to make me forget my God and the things that he did with his hand. The word provoke is interesting. It means to stimulate or incite someone to do or feel something especially by arousing anger in them. Anybody in here ever provoke anybody? It means to deliberately make someone annoyed or angry. And we're talking about God. Who would want to provoke God? Well, the children of Israel, for one, we just read it. And guess who else? You and me. Yep, that's right. <laughs> the provocation and the day of temptation in the wilderness referred to the whole 40 years that they wandered. And you know how many miracles and signs and wonders they seen in them 40 years, and yet they forget what God did with his hand. The mighty hand he used to deliver them from Pharaoh and the slavery of Egypt for 400-something years. The way that he healed them when they left Egypt and prospered them. Every one of them left Egypt rich. He stripped Egypt of all their riches and gave it to the children of Israel. And you say, well, that's not fair. Oh, yes, it is. Let's call it back pay for 430 years of slavery. Yeah, it's fair. Everything God does is fair. Everything God does is right. Everything God does is just. And he don't have to justify himself to anybody. Not only did they leave rich, but the Bible says that out of all the Jews that left Egypt, I don't know how many million, a lot of Jews left Egypt. The Bible says there was not one feeble one among them. These are Jews that have been in slavery for centuries. They had to have injuries. They had to have sickness and disease. Why? Because they weren't fed right. They were overworked. 
they were pushed to the point of, of dropping dead and everything else. And yet, none of them left with any kind of infirmity or sickness or disease. Hallelujah. Not one feeble one amongst them. It wasn't too long after that, they were crying and whining and complaining. Wish we'd have stayed in Egypt. At least we had onions and leeks there. Forty years, God put up with them wine babies. And that's after all the wonderful works and deeds that God did for them. He had to tolerate their disobedience, their rebellion, their sin, their doubt, their unbelief, their fears. And they would rather backslide than obey God. That's what the scripture said that we just read. I know people like that. Don't look around. I was one of them. As soon as God starts putting a little pressure on you, starts putting the finger of conviction on you, and you know what you're doing is wrong, and you know you need to change something, rather than put your faith out there in a, in a, a trustworthy God and change, you would rather backslide and do it your way. Oh, you might still keep going to church, and you might still be raising your hands and praising the Lord, and you might even still be reading the Word, but you're doing it all in a backslid condition. I know people like that. I did it. And that's what verse 41 tells us. Rather than be obedient to the commandments of God, the children of Israel backslid, tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. It would seem that there is nothing that could limit God. But apparently there is. In one of the commentaries I read, it was the pulpit commentary. You might not be familiar with it, but Brother Darrell probably is. It said they set limits to his power in their own minds. The only place God has limitations is in your own mind. And it says they actually limited his power by their lack of faith. Can we limit God? Oh, yeah. In your mind and through your lack of faith. And to limit God is not an unusual sin. It's one of the most common sins today. See, anytime you disobey the word, rebel against him, get into fear, doubt, or unbelief, you get into sin, and we tempt him and limit the Holy One of Israel. You limit him. We provoke God and tempt him through disobedience, rebellion, fear, doubt, unbelief, all which, have sin, which is sin. As a matter of fact, Paul said in the latter part of Romans 14, 23, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If you're in fear, you're in sin. If you're in doubt, you're in sin. If you're in unbelief, you're in sin. If you're in rebellion, you're in sin. If you're in disobedience, you're in sin. If it's not faith, it's sin. And although everything I said so far is really good this morning, <laughs> brilliant, I might add, that's not what I want to preach to you about this morning. But I had to lay a foundation, give you a little background. I really felt like you needed to hear it, and so I threw it in there for free, no charge. But what I really want to talk about this morning is limiting the Holy One of Israel or limiting a limitless God. How many knows God is limitless? There is nothing God doesn't have. There is nothing that God has that he's not willing to share with us. And if we're not enjoying it, it's because we limited him. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I'm going to hit you the hardest right up front. I'm going to send in the tanks first and the artillery. 
and the aircraft. Then we'll bring in the foot soldiers and bring up the rear. But I'm going to hit you hard and fast this morning. Malachi 3, 10 and 11 says, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, which is his temple or the modern-day church. It didn't say send your tithes to any organization or even though they're doing good or any uh, nonprofit that's helping the poor or doing this or that. He didn't say the sent to send your tithe there. He said to bring your tithe, you bring your tithe to the storehouse, which is the church. I'm going to take it slow and easy. And he said that there may be meat in mine house. What house? The church, the temple. What's the meat? The word of God. This time about spiritual meat, the word of God. If you don't support your church, there will be no church. There will be no storehouse. There will be no place for you to meet and feed on the word of God. Well, I can just read my Bible at home. I can just listen to a preacher on the, the radio. Well, he won't be there much longer either if people don't support him. And, and I say that, you know, I'm not saying not to support them. I'm telling you not to support them with your tithe. God said that's for the church. Yes. Do both. Yes. Give your tithe and support a minister that God places on your heart or an organization that, place, that God places on your heart. Pastor Ed and I pay more than a tithe to the church and we support other works and ministries that are doing something for God. And then he says, And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, test me in this. Prove me in this. Try me to see if it's true. He said, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, here's your clue, that there shall not be room enough to contain it. Get a clue. It takes a lot of faith to tithe. And if you're not doing something to make more room for God to pour into your life, you are limiting the Holy One of Israel. You are limiting a limitless God. If you want to take the limits off of God, here it is. You have to take the limits off your giving. I'm just being honest with you. I'm telling you the Word of God works. If you work it, it will work every time. If you're just giving... 10%, you're limiting God. Let me try that over here. If you're just giving 10%, you are limiting God. Uh, right now, there's a lot of controversy going on in the body of Christ. There's some in fighting in the body of Christ, in the church, as to whether or not we are required to tithe. Is it a commandment or is it not a commandment? Is it before the law or after the law? Is it part of the law or not part of the law? Generals of the faith, I ain't talking about pastors of small churches or ministers that only minister once or twice a year. I'm talking about the generals of the faith, mega church pastors and leaders arguing over whether or not we should give a tithe to the church. I preached on this subject not too long ago, and we don't have time to rehash it this morning, but I will tell you this. I don't care what you call your giving, as long as it's consistent and it's 10% or more. You can call it a tithe. You can call it an offering. You can call it giving. You can call it whatever you want. As long as it's consistent and it's 10% or more, I don't think God's going to get mad at you. 
And I can't believe the devil has God's leaders arguing over whether or not we should support his church. Tithing is Old Testament. Tithing is a commandment. Jesus fulfilled the commandments. We don't have to tithe. It's not under the law. We're not under the law. Blah, 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 blah. Who cares? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe our giving should be consistent and spirit-led. You can call it a tithe. You can call it whatever you want. But it needs to be consistent on a regular basis, and it needs to be led by the Spirit of God. You shouldn't be determined how much you're going to give to the church. You should pray and ask God, what will you have me give? I also believe if you're being led by the Spirit in your giving, it will always be 10% or more. That's basically what I said in my last message that really got misconstrued. <laughs> Some people stopped giving. They said, well, we don't have to tithe anymore. Praise the Lord. Pastor said it's not, it's under the law. I didn't say that. I would, that would be like committing financial suicide for me to say that. That's what some people heard. But anyway, even though tithing is Old Testament and it was before the law, it doesn't mean that God changed his mind. The Holy Spirit will never go against anything God or Jesus ever said. That's why I said if you're spirit-led and you're giving, it will be at least 10%, probably more, because... The Bible says, let every man give as he purposeth in his heart or his spirit. And if your spirit is in connection with his spirit, you're not going to give anything less. And that's what I mean by spirit-led giving. Ask God what he'd have you to give. Don't look at your budget and see if you can afford it or not. If God tells you to give a certain amount, give it. He'll make it up to you. He's telling you how to get the windows of heaven open over your head, yeah. over your life. Thank you, Lord. Uh, the Holy Spirit will always be in agreement with Jesus, God, the Word. He'll never disagree. You know, thou shalt not kill is in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it's a commandment, and we're not under the law uh, but it doesn't mean that we can murder somebody now. It's the same thing with the tithe. It don't make a difference if it's under the law or not. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. There's a lot of things under the law that God still doesn't want us to do today. So the Holy Spirit will never tell you in the New Testament that it's okay to murder your husband. It's not. The de- <laughs> Pastor Ressa, I know you'd like to. As I used to tell this joke, somebody said it before, and I picked up on it, but, you know, uh, we never mentioned divorce in our household. Pastor Ed would never say divorce. Now, she mentioned murder a few times, but never divorce. But the devil is trying to divide the body of Christ over this silliness, and we're falling for it. But here's why he wants to divide the body of Christ over this. The next verse tells us why. God said in verse 11, if you tithe, then in addition to him opening the windows of heaven and pouring you out blessings you don't have room for, he said, I will also rebuke the devourer, the devil, for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord. Now, he's talking to farmers, and he's reassuring the farmers that their income is protected if they tithe. And he's saying the same thing to us, except we have a job, and he's telling us, if you're a tither, I'll protect your job. I'll protect your income. See, the devil doesn't want you to obey God by tithing because he doesn't want to get rebuked. That's right. And he doesn't want you advancing the church 
of the living Christ or the kingdom of God. You're limiting the Holy One of Israel. You're limiting a limitless God. God said, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's why we should never get hung up on percentages. Because if all you giving is 10%, all God's going to give back is 10%. So because you get what you sow. You can't sow 100 stalks of corn and reap 200 stalks of corn. That's not how it works. You reap what you sow. And God is trying to encourage us here, sow more so I can give you more. So I can bless you more. Then go to Isaiah 54, 2 through 3. I'm going to give you examples of how we limit a limitless God. Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Push the walls out, we would say today. And stretch forth the walls of our habitation or our house. Spare not. Don't just add a little room. He says, spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. It sounds like God wants us to make room again. Why? Because there's not enough room for the blessings that he wants to bestow upon us. And in verse 3, here's your clue. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed, your children and your children's children, shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. God's going to give you properties that you didn't work for. God's going to give you things that you don't deserve. Why? Because you obeyed him and made room for them. God wants you to have a, a breakout blessing, but you can't break out until you make enough room. You can't break to the left or break to the right because you're up against the walls now. He's saying make room. Then we have Elijah. He prayed and shut up the heavens that it wouldn't rain on the earth until Israel repented for their sins of idolatry, disobedience, and rebellion. And God led him to a brook named Cherith and miraculously provided for him there. How many knows the king and all his horses wanted to find Elijah and kill him because he's the one that shut up the heavens? He's the one that put Israel in a drought. He's the one that put Israel in inflation. He's... God help me. Please, Jesus, don't let me go there. But anyway, God led him to that brook and miraculously provided for him there. Not only his physical needs were met, but he protected him there. He hid him there. Elijah drank water from that brook, and God commanded ravens, one of the most selfish species of bird known to man commanded them to bring him flesh and bread or meat and bread twice a day. And they didn't eat none. And one day the brook dried up. The place of provision dried up. So God told Elijah to go to a place called Zarephath in Zidon to a widow woman that he commanded to sustain him there. This is the mighty man of God, the mighty prophet Elijah. And God tells him, I got a widow in Zarephath, and I'm going to have her to provide for you. I'm telling you, that would be hard to swallow for some people. But this is going to be Elijah's new place of provision, his new place of provision protection what better place to hide than in a widow's house now understand this the same source but now a different resource same source different resource don't limit God with your little old job that's not your source that's your resource 
If you put your faith in that resource and you lose it, you're on your own. But if you put your faith in the source and you lose this resource, God got another one for you. Hallelujah. See, we always need to stick with the source, which is God. And let him determine what your resource is going to be. Amazon is not your source. It's your resource. If God is your source and Amazon disappears, God has another resource to supply you with, and it will be better. Most of us would have limited God because we're too proud to receive help from a poor widow. If God sent you to her, she won't be poor long. If she obeys God and sows what God tells her to sow, she won't be poor long. Now, if Elijah would have went anywhere else, he would have died. He would have starved to death or the king would have found him. Why? Because he would have been out of God's will, and God had no obligation to protect him or provide for him. That's why so many preachers, including myself, have preached on this passage of Scripture with the brook Cherith. You know, God said, go there. Why there? There is where the provision will be. There is where the uh, protection will be. There is where I will be. Now, I could go to another brook. I like this other brook better. It's prettier. It's more shady. The water tastes better. So I'm just going to go there. And that's exactly where you die, out of God's will. One King 17, 10 through 16. So anyway, he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. So in other words, get me something to drink and a three-piece chicken dinner. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, or some wheat in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. This is going to be our last meal, and now you're asking me to give it to you. And Elijah said unto her, fear not. That's the first thing we have to understand when God tells us some things. They could be scary. He says, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me. How many knows that it takes a lot of faith for that little woman to do that? And after make for thee and for thy son. Here's the clue. After you made provision for the man of God, after you made provision for the church, then make you one too. Yeah, but I'm going to use it all on you. How am I going to make me one? Because you're sowing it to me, and I shall repay thee, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 14, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now, he's going to hit her with the word. The barrel of meal shall not waste. In other words, it will not run out. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now, we know from hindsight, that's three and a half years later. So now, if she obeys the word and she takes care of the man of God or puts God first, then God's going to provide for her through the worst famine Israel ever had. 
Hallelujah. Here's her chance to open the windows of heaven and get blessed with more than she has room enough to receive. This is her getting the devourer rebuked. This is her opening the windows of heaven and expanding the size of her tent. And this is her getting ready to get a breakout blessing. Verse 15 says, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her, her, her whole house did eat many days. How many days? Three and a half years at least. Verse 16 says, and the barrel of meal wasted not. In other words, every time she scooped a, a big cup out, another cup appeared. Neither did the cruise of oil fail. In other words, every time she poured a pint of oil out, a pint went back in. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Elijah may have spoke it, but it was God's word. It's just like you picking up the Bible and reading it. It's God's word to you. In other words, she listened to her pastor and spoke according to the word that he gave that came from God. As long as you keep giving God something to pour into. Let me see how I can put this so we can understand it. As long as you keep giving God something that he can pour into, he will keep pouring. As long as you give God faith and a positive confession, he'll fill that up. He'll pour into that faith and he'll pour into that confession. He'll pour into what you're believing and you're saying for. If you don't, you'll limit a limitless God. As long as you keep doing what the word said to do, your meal barrel will never stop giving meal and your cruise will never stop giving oil. Think about it a minute. That meal barrel and that cruise of oil was a, uh, uh, a type of provision for you. You know, maybe it ain't meal and a cruise of oil right now. It might be, you know, KFC and, and Chick-fil-A. But God will see that that keep, continues as long as you obey his word. He might not fly it to your house in, a, in, a, in the mouths of a couple of ravens, but he'll put enough money in your pocket where you can drive the Chick-fil-A in your car uh, that with your gas in it and your insurance, and you can get in the drive-thru and buy your own Chick-fil-A. That won't stop as long as you keep obeying God's word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your source of provision will never run out. Why? Because the devourer can't touch it. It's blessed. Look at 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. I'm giving you some good examples here this morning. I hope you get one of them. 2 Kings 4, 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. Elijah's predecessor, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Now, they could do that back in Israel. If, if your husband died and left you in debt, they could take your sons or your whatever you had and pay off that debt. And if the debt was paid... They'll send your sons back. But if the debt isn't paid because it was so great and it comes to the year of Jubilee, then they'll release your sons in the year of Jubilee, but you'd get them back. It was perfectly legal back then. And Elijah said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, Elijah, Elijah says, tell me, what hast thou in the house? See, he's looking for something that God can work with. 
And she said, let me say that again. He's looking for something that God can work with. God is always looking for something that he can work with. God is looking for something that you can sow so that he can give you a harvest. What do you got? Sow it. I mean, that little bit you got, you're going to eat that and, and starve to death. But if you sow it, he'll give you a harvest and you won't starve. And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. A little pot of oil. Then he said, go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Now, here's your clue. Borrow not a few. Make room, expand, get ready to break forth. But don't just borrow a few. Borrow many. Don't limit me. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shall pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. Take that little pot of oil and pour it in this vessel till it's full. Set it aside. Pour it into the next one. Set it aside. Pour it into the next one. Set it aside. As long as you have vessels to pour into, the oil will continue to pour. Limitless God. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, here's your clue, there is no more vessels. As soon as that happened, the oil stopped flowing. Now this woman's husband died. She's left penniless. Her creditors demanded the money, and rightly so, they owed it, and were going to take her sons to secure the debt and repay it. She comes to Elijah, the man of God, and begs for help. He tells her to go to her neighbors and borrow all the vessels. Go abroad if you have to. Leave the neighborhood if you have to and borrow all the vessels. And she would be able to pour into them from that little pot of oil which she had in the house. She would take what she had, give it to God, and he would multiply it. He would add to it. But he can't, I mean, if you multiply zero times zero, it's going to be zero. You got to give him something to multiply with. God filled every one of those vessels but countless more could have been filled if she borrowed more. And my guess is, <laughs> thinking like a father, they could have borrowed plenty more, especially her sons. They're the ones that are going to go into slavery. That's a motivation right there, I would think. But you know what? When you, <laughs> when you send your kids to do something, they don't always do a good job. They don't think the way you think. They don't work the way you work. They don't have the same tenacity that you have. So you got to make sure they understand what's at stake here. That they're either going to go into slavery, slavery or you're going to kill them and tell God they died. I mean, they're not going to do their best naturally for you. They're going to have to have some motivation. As a matter of fact, now, not being too hard on the kids, but we don't always do our best either. And I'm going to tell you why, because there is a that's good enough spirit out there, and it's on a lot of people. Hey, can you get this? This is how I'd like it to be done, and blah, 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 and then that's good enough. They can take it or leave it. 
And that spirit needs to be rebuked, corrected, and overcome by every one of us. If you went to heaven today and God told you to clean the windows of heaven, what kind of job would you do? It better be the same job that you do down here. You better not say, that's good enough, God. You can take it or leave it. You will get a holy boot. And when Satan got that holy boot, the Bible says Jesus saw him like lightning leave heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. God tells us to do your best. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Do it as you would be doing it if you were doing it for the Lord. Anything less than that is not what God wants you to do. Brother Kevin, no more, no less. You do your best, and that's it. And God told me to tell you this just now. He says, there's a place for, of rest for you. God says, I can't handle your stress. You have to give it to me before I can do anything with it. And he said that place of rest begins in the spirit. Uh, Isaiah said, with stammering lips and another tongue shall I speak to these people. And then he says, this is your rest. What? Praying in tongues. Start praying in tongues. You start feeling stress, you start praying in tongues. And you do your best to get into that place of rest with God. It's going to be a fleshly battle at first, but you're going to have to enter into that Psalm 91 rest. You're going to have to enter into the throne room of God where there is rest. Hallelujah. I think that's all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, when it comes to the word of God, it's like with everything else. You do your best because God has given you his best. You get in there and you get that word into your heart. And you don't say, I, I, I read for 15 minutes today. That's good enough. You didn't get nothing in that 15 minutes. Jesus attended a wedding in the town of Cana. And before the wedding or the celebration was over, they ran out of wine. That's a big problem. Uh, the maitre d' or the governor of the feast or the one who threw the party, he could get in a lot of trouble. I don't know if they cut his head off, but he can get in a lot of trouble for that and it's destroy his reputation. That will probably be the last time anybody invests in his business again or anything else. And... Jesus' mother Mary recognized that, and she said, Jesus, we have a problem. They ran out of wine. And Jesus is like, what are you telling me for? I ain't got nothing to do with that. That ain't my problem. But she just turned, as though she just ignored what he said. She turned and went about her business. What was she doing? She was resting in God. She knew he would do something about it. She didn't know what. So anyway, Jesus sees these firkins, water pots. I don't know how big they were. They hold quite a bit of water, but they were used for the purifying of the Jews. In other words, the Jews would use those, pour over their hands in ceremonial washings that they did all the time. Sort of like how we've become with Perel and all that stuff. You know, we're constantly doing ceremonial washings. But anyway, Jesus says, Fill those water pots and bring them to me. And the Bible says the servants got them water pots and filled them to the brim. If you're going to do anything at all, do it right, do it good, right? In other words, they filled them to the max. And so what did Jesus do? He turned them into wine. He turned that water into wine to the max. If they would have just filled it halfway then that's all jesus had to work with he'd have just made half as much wine but they filled them to the max and then they brought them to jesus and he says all right now take it to the governor of the feast and pour it out and give him to drink 
How many knows that took a tremendous amount of faith? Because if they'd have went there, poured it out, and it was water, they'd have probably got their heads cut off as servants. So they went there in faith, and they're, they're praying in the Holy Ghost. When I pour this out, Lord, it better be wine. They poured it out, and the governor tasted it, and he says, most people save the best, or uh, use the best wine at first, save the worst wine for last, but he says, you saved the best for last. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Miracle. Yes. Why? Because somebody took the time to do a job and do it right yes. and do it to the max. Yes. Hallelujah. Uh, that was all free, too. I, I'm, I'm feeling generous today. But anyway, let's get back to the widow woman. If she would have had more faith, she would have borrowed more vessels. She'd have stepped out of convenience into inconvenience and went a little bit further. Took a little bit longer. God didn't put a time limit on there. He didn't say get all the vessels by sundown. He said... Go and borrow vessels and borrow not a few. That was her clue. That was her hint. But anyway, she should have went back and said, or she should have went at the first place and said, let me borrow all your vessels. Even that 55-gallon drum you got in the backyard. And I'll make a deal with you. I'll bring them back filled with the best oil you ever tasted. Let's just say it's heavenly oil. Out of this world oil. I'll bring it back full. And I'll let you buy it for half price. <laughs> I'm telling you, God said he'd give you witty inventions and ideas, right? She could have started the first major oil company, and it wouldn't have been standard. But she limited the Holy One of Israel. Well, wouldn't that be, I got to look from Pastorette, you know, but wouldn't that be merchandising the anointing? Wouldn't that be profiting from the goodness of God? Absolutely not. Not in this case. Verse 7 said, then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil. <laughs> Pay thy debt and live off the rest. Let me tell you something. She could have started this oil business, and then people would have been constantly coming to her door. She would have never ran out of empty pots. She'd fill them up, now sell the oil for full, <laughs> full price, and she could have had a business going there. Vessels and Oil Company. And then she could have shared her profits with the, the village, and the whole village would have prospered from it. God, give me an idea like that. I'm running over, but I'm having fun. We started late. Miss Shannon and Daryl and the Praise and worship team took too long. <laughs> I'm just taking the time back. Jesus told his disciples to feed the multitude in a desert place where he was teaching them. And do you know what they said when he said, let's feed everybody. They've been here all day. If we send them away hungry, they'll probably faint in a way. He said, let's feed them. How many times, if, how, how many knows that if God tells you to do something, it can be done? Yeah. They said to him, <laughs> here's your clue, <laughs> we couldn't buy enough food to feed all these people. Jesus asked them, he says, what do we have? Give me something to work with. They said, there's a lad here, just a little boy, 
He's got five barley loaves. Now, these ain't big loaves of bread. They're little individual loaves. He's got five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? You see the doubt and unbelief? You see the limits they're getting ready to put on a limitless God? They would have limited the Holy One of Israel, but you know what Jesus said before they could make it any worse? He said, bring them hither to me. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus held them up to heaven, thanked God for them, and said, in this particular case, have all the men and women sit down in groups of 50s because God's organized. He said, and then serve them until they had their fill. And what happened? El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough, showed up and gave them above and beyond all they could ask or think. And then there was 12 baskets of leftovers. I ain't talking about fish that was half eaten or a half a loaf of bread. I'm telling you there was 12 baskets of loaves of bread and whole fishes left over. Did God miscalculate? Nope. I wonder where those 12 baskets went. Not to the 12 unbelieving disciples. They went to that little boy that sowed the bread and the fish. That was his harvest. He gave God five little loaves and two fish to work with. God gave him back 12 baskets. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That little boy opened the windows of heaven over his head. He expanded his tents, and he broke out. He had to have, now the 12 disciples, Jesus might have told the 12 disciples, said, get them baskets up and follow that little boy home. And don't eat a bite. That's his. I'm getting there. Jesus went to his own hometown desiring to heal people and perform miracles just like he did everywhere he went. But the Bible says because of their unbelief, he could there do no mighty work save he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them of minor ailments. One translation says sniffles. Well, that ain't a great and mighty work. That ain't a miracle. Why? The Bible says their doubt and unbelief limited the Holy One of Israel. They put limits on a limitless God through doubt and unbelief. And, you know, we should all be believing God for something. I said everything I said so far to get to this. If you fell asleep, wake up now. If you weren't paying attention before, pay attention now. We should all be believing God for something all the time. Yes. Yes. That's why we're called believers. Yes. We should be believing. Yes. So now, don't look around and don't say anything, but what are you believing him for right now? What are you believing him for? Whatever you're believing him for is exactly what you're going to get. The law of sowing and reaping don't only work for money. You'll get nothing more or nothing less. I think it was Brother Tony Cook told this story that he asked someone, I don't know what the conversation was about, but he asked someone, what do you believe in God for? And they thought for a second and they said, nothing in particular. Tony Cook said, that's exactly what you're going to get. Nothing in particular. Say what you believe and believe what you say. Make sure it's the word that you're saying and believing. If you're really believing God for something, you will boldly declare it. You will be confessing your faith. And if you're not confessing your faith, it's because you either don't believe it yourself or you have a plan B. You're really not sure it's going to come to pass. So rather than say it and be embarrassed later, you just ain't going to say it. 
That's why I said earlier, Pastor Ed and I are confessing the same things now as we did before. You know what? Why? We were, we were confessing it in faith before. Now we're telling a story. Now we have a testimony because it's come to pass. We were between the amen and the there it is for six months or whatever it's been. But now we can say, not by faith, but in reality, there it is. And if you can't say it, you need more meditation. You need to read the word more. You need to pray more. You need to get into the presence of God and fellowship with him more until you can leave there with a true heart of faith and full confidence that the thing you're saying will come to pass. Then you'll say it boldly and you'll declare it boldly. Mark 11, 22 and 24 says, uh, Jesus said, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he or she saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. That's something we should live by. Jesus said to believe once, but he said to say three times. We got to do three three more times saying than we are believing. We don't confess enough. What do you believe in God for? When you pray in cooperation with the word, you can have anything you want. This is the confidence that we have when we pray according to his word or his will. He hears us, and if we know he hears us, we know we'll have the petitions or the things we prayed for. The things we desired is what the word says. And Jesus said, what things soever you desire, as long as they're in cooperation with his word, he says, you're going to have them, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. What do you believe in God for? And it's never about what God can do because he is limitless. Nothing's impossible for him. He's El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. If we're not getting what we're believing and confessing, it's because we're limiting the Holy One of Israel. We're putting limits on a limitless God. And it's always about what you can believe him for, never about what he's able to do. He's able. We limit God with our fear, our doubt, our unbelief, our disobedience, our rebellion, our sin, because all those things are sin. And anytime we're not in faith, it's what? A sin. Real faith always puts a demand on God. I mentioned this Wednesday night. I'm just going to mention it briefly, but we decided, Pastor Ed and I, to believe God to pay off the mortgage on this church. And, you know, I've always put limits on him because I thought it had to come from you and I. And I know that every time we had a need, uh, the roof, the parking lot, the sound system, I'm talking about big ticket items, I come to you and told you we had a need, and you guys rose to the occasion, and we met that need. But I told God, I says, God, this is too big. Our church is too small for me to expect that to come from them. I limited a limitless God. Why? Because I'm trying to tell him where it has to come from. And God says, do you think that church is my only source? He said, I can send a millionaire in your church to pay one tithe and cover that mortgage and your mortgage. So I said, yeah. 
Yeah, God, I believe you can pay this mortgage off. I don't know how. We joked about it Wednesday, said Queenie's going to find one of them pennies worth $700 million and pay it off in one day. That could happen. God could send a little brown, a little dog with a brown paper bag in his mouth, scratch on the door, and it'd have enough to pay both mortgages off. Yeah, I can believe God for that. That set us free. Well, set me free anyway. It's not my problem where it comes from. It's not how God does it. I don't have to worry about that. I just leave it to God. And I believe he told me he could, he'll pay this mortgage off. I'm not going to put a time limit. I'm not going to say when. I don't know when. But I've, I have all the confidence and faith I need right now that he's going to pay off the mortgage on this church and our house. Hallelujah. What can we believe God for? What would God do for us? Anything that you could believe for in cooperation with his word, he will do for us. It takes faith and boldness to declare that Jesus is my healer. I will live and not die, but declare the works of the Lord. There's enough virtue in God to overcome any stinking evil disease or or device that the devil has or can put against me. There is no weapon that can be formed against me that shall prosper. My God will satisfy me with long life. Hallelujah. And, and you know, we're afraid to say that because the devil might hear it. I don't care if he hears it. You got to declare it in his face. I will not die of some stinking disease that the devil gave me. I'm waiting for the rapture. I'm going to go with my, with my wife holding hands in the rapture. But even if I had to go by way of the grave, I'm going to die in my sleep of natural causes or fair wear and tear. And when I do, I'm going to be completely satisfied having lived out the fullness of my days. That's what you got to believe. That's what you got to begin to declare. And that's what you got to begin to confess. And that works with anything. Hallelujah. You need a house. You need a new car. Hey, this is a limitless God. If you don't get the things you need from God in cooperation with his word, now he ain't going to come up, he ain't going to fulfill any of your crazy ideas or schemes but if it's in cooperation with the word it'll happen man man (laughs) i don't remember what i just said (laughs) no I, i seriously if you can believe god for it and it's in cooperation with his word you will have it. Yes, He'll yeah. see that you have it, yeah. but you can't be timid about it. That's right. You know what? We're, we're afraid that God, or, or we're going to make a confession. I call it like this. I, I, I say, we're afraid that we're, <laughs> we're going to write a check with our mouth that our little behind can't pay. And so that's how it is when we, when we want to believe God for something, we want to make a declaration I really would like to make this declaration, but I'm afraid that the devil's going to hear it and he's going to give me problems and it won't come to pass and I'm going to be embarrassed and ashamed. I mean, what if I tell everybody God's going to heal me of a stinking disease and it doesn't happen? Man, I'm going to be ashamed. I'm going to be embarrassed. You know, we testified earlier about when we started this journey and we told you about the passage of scripture that God gave Pastor Ed and I. When we were hopeless, he said, as for you, I'll come with healing, curing the incurable because they all gave up on you and dismissed you as hopeless. That was at the beginning of the journey. And then at the end of the journey, after everything that's happened, God gave us this scripture, spoke it right into our hearts. We heard it. 
And it's in Romans chapter 10, verse 11 in the Amplified. It says, No man who believes in him, who adheres to, relies on, and trusts in him, will ever be put to shame or disappointed. Amen. Am I telling you, you know, we serve a God that's right on time. Yes. He was on time at the beginning. He was on time when it was over. God has a word for us. And I'm telling you, it's going to be right on time. It's going to be a fit word spoken in due season, and it's going to bless your socks off. One, one of these days, we can share some of the more intimate things and even tell you some of the scriptures God gave us as we were going through different phases of this thing. And uh, it would be uplifting for you. And you know, I'm not saying to be copycats because that ain't the reason we do something. Oh, so-and-so got healed uh, the last service we had, and they were holding one hand higher than the other. So if I hold one hand higher than the other, God will heal me. No, that's not, how, that's not why God healed them. It's not why God will heal you by duplicating what they did. So I'm not telling you to duplicate what we did if you need a miracle. But what I'm telling you is the scriptures we use will work for you or me or anybody else. Amen. God's no respecter of persons, like Pastor S said this morning. He's no respecter of persons. He respects the word, and he respects faith. Amen. All right, I kept you long enough. I had fun. I don't know about you, but I had fun. Hallelujah. That was really building up in me. And before I finish uh, putting this word together, uh, God got another little pot in the back of my spirit starting to, to brew. <laughs> I got another one, <laughs> maybe next week. We'll see. But we love you and appreciate you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.